With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Portland, Maine, of Lives in the Balance. Here in Portland, Maine, I'm joined by my co-host, Susie Porton. Susie, how are you today? I'm good, thanks, Dr. Green. How are you? I am well. We had a little technical glitch at the beginning here, but we are on. Okay, great. Um, And here we are. Um... How are you? I am well. Uh, have you recovered from your trip across the pond to Oslo, Norway? Well, sure, but I really have no choice because I'm going two hours in the other direction time zone-wise this week for the first annual Alberta uh, School Mental Health Conference in Calgary that starts on Wednesday and goes through Friday. And we are very excited about that, as are the over 700 people who have registered to attend. It's fantastic. We and have also, some incredible speakers oh, coming sorry. in. Yes, yes, you do. What a what a conference. Um, what were you going I, to say? I was going to say also that we're doing another special webinar for parents on Monday, November 9th at 7 p.m. We are indeed, and the place to sign up for that, it's free, is on the What's New page of the Lives in the Balance website, and I'm sure that'll get announced on our Facebook page as well. Uh, From what I'm told, um, our Facebook group for parents is really active, and a lot of people are finding a lot of support in it, and that's fabulous. Yes. Now, we do not have any callers, but that might be because I haven't given the phone number yet. It's 347-994-2981, and here comes your line. Press 1, please. (laughs) What a team. So here we go. Uh, We don't have any callers, so we are going to start with some of the emails that um, we've been trying to get to here. Are we ready? Yes. All right. This is not the one I wanted to start with, though. Not that it's not a good one. It's just not the one that I wanted to start with. Whoa. The one that I wanted to start with has disappeared. Hang on one second. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yes. Hang on. There we go. Here we go. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is this one was just received a half an hour ago. Talk about service. Timing, yeah. 
I have a 10-year-old son that has had behavior problems in school and has had an IEP since first grade. I don't feel like we've gotten anywhere or made any progress. We're going to have another IEP meeting soon, and I'm not sure where to begin. I want to bring up the CPS model, but then I have other questions like, what grade level is he at in each subject? What grade level work are we giving him? What supplements are we having him work on to improve his academics? Should we go back to a tutor? Are these good questions to get answers about, or do we go straight to the ALSIP? Also, does his challenging behavior create his low academics, or does the low academics create the challenging behavior? He is very defiant and argues with his teacher about everything. He cannot stay on task by himself on many subjects. He struggles with phonics and just being slow. He gets frustrated and shuts down. I just don't know where to go with this. Let's see if we can help you out. Um, now, here's the thing about all of this. Number one, it sounds like we have a lot going on in this 10-year-old boy. And it sounds like some of what's going on is academic and some of it is behavioral. And yes, we should probably assume that there's overlap between the two, although in ways that have yet to be figured out. This is, this is the thing about this is, um, and we've been talking about this a few other times before, he's still a puzzle. And that's, that's the hardest part is that um, all of uh, IEP since first grade later and being 10-year-old now, um, he shouldn't still be a puzzle. Here's what we're missing in terms of me being able to give a real explicit answer about what comes first. Um, I'm assuming that he's had testing done that tells us where he's at, what his strengths are, in what areas he's having difficulty. And without seeing that, it's hard to make um, heads or tails out of what comes first. And another big question, of course, would be how old is the testing and do we need more current testing? We do need more current testing probably to answer the questions, what grade level is he at in each subject? Uh, we do not need testing to answer what grade level work are we giving him? We do need to know what help is being provided, although that should be specified in the IEP. Should we go back to a tutor is a question that comes after we get those first questions answered. The truth is, I think between the testing and the ALSIP, he shouldn't be a puzzle anymore. So depending on how current the testing is, and whether it actually provided any of the answers that you're looking for. I think that the ALSIP would not be a bad place to start because remember, the ALSIP not only goes through lagging skills, it also goes through unsolved problems. And the unsolved problems are all of the expectations he's having difficulty meeting during the school day. So you can't go wrong in starting with the ALSIP whether you need more current testing or not is a completely different question. But the ALSIP is a discussion guide. And I must say, every kid who I've ever met with who was a puzzle before the ALSIP wasn't much of a puzzle anymore once the discussion with the ALSIP took place, with the only caveat being that there may have been some questions left unanswered because we still needed testing or at least current testing. 
Once you have that information, it may be possible to figure out to what degree there is an overlap between behavior and academics. Um, to tell you the truth, it may not matter. Um, let's, for example, let's say he's having difficulty completing the geography worksheet in social studies. Let's say that he's exhibiting challenging behavior in response to that. To tell you the truth, does it matter which comes first? Not necessarily, because if we're working on that unsolved problem, then two good things will happen. We are both going to reduce the likelihood of the challenging behavior, because the challenging behavior seems to have been in response to the difficulty completing the geography worksheet in social studies, and we are also going to figure out whether he can do the geography worksheet in social studies, and if we think he can, what we need to do to help him do that. So I'm not sure that I would be totally consumed with which is causing which. I would be totally consumed with what are this kid's lagging skills, what are this kid's unsolved problems, and I suspect he's going to have, given the complexity that you're describing, a lengthy list of unsolved problems, and do we have current testing so that we have a, and is it good, so that we have a solid bead on where he's at academically and what kind of work he should be getting. Susie, anything further on that? Um, something that I've mentioned before that helped with, <clears throat> excuse me, our our son and our situation was we had met with the guidance counselor our son was easily frustrated and um, prone to arguing with a certain teacher. And proactively, we made an appointment with the guidance counselor so that there was an understanding that Alex, excuse me, we're not supposed to mention names, but he my won't son, mind at this point. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. Or maybe he would. We don't know. Um, no, I think it's okay. Um, would raise his hand in the particular classroom and he could be excused and go down to the guidance counselor's office where he could calm himself down and then return to the classroom after he was quieted. Um, also, I wanted to mention to keep a log uh, for a week or so, so that they can prioritize while using the ALSEP, they can prioritize their two or three most important problems that is um, causing such distress right now. Um, a copy of Lost at School, if at all possible, um, to be provided to either the teacher or um, the guidance counselor or school psychologist, and um, to download, it's on the Lives in the Balance website, Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students, an article that you wrote that um, is so helpful, I think, for educators to um, read and understand. Good. Shall we take another? Yes. Here we go. 
Let's see here. This is an interesting one. Of course they all are. Mm-hmm. Hello, my 17-year-old son has a history of mood issues that are only displayed at home. While he has difficulty staying on task and completing his schoolwork, he is not a behavior problem at school. When my son gets angry or when he isn't getting what he wants or things aren't going his way, he reacts by demanding, haranguing, and raging about how unfair it is. For example, he believes we should give him money whenever he asks, though he has a history of spending all of his money as soon as he gets it, often on pot. He becomes irrational and unreasonable, and it's like talking to a wall. He has a part-time job, and though we have stressed since he started working that he needs to save some of his money, it has fallen on deaf ears. Sometimes we just don't have the energy to fight with him. His rages include swearing, threatening, and saying the meanest, most hurtful things he can think to say. He often apologizes later, often with tears, saying he doesn't know why he acts this way, that he hates hates himself, and that we should just give up on him. He has an incredibly poor self-image, and these rages seem to make him feel worse about himself. I believe that he wants to change this, but is not equipped with the skills to manage his emotions, especially when he is disappointed. I guess my question is, How can we help him when it seems that in the heat of the moment, the rage takes over and all logic or previous discussion is out the window? He's not thinking rationally when he is that angry, so I'm not sure how identifying the unsolved problem would be effective. Even if it is identified, doesn't he need to be able to think clearly to avoid getting to the point of an all-out rage? Susie, you want to tackle that one first, or you want me to? Um. I could try. I think when you emphasized heat of the moment, um, that was a very important phrase so that the um, parent needs to make an appointment with her son in a calm moment to talk about a specific unsolved problem. Um I I know what that's like. It sounds like they're having a tough time that you don't have the energy to fight. It it's very draining and uh takes a lot out of not only the parents but the rest of the family. Um and spending his money on marijuana is um very upsetting. Um I think that, um, you know, when we were going through a similar situation, um, it was it was difficult because no matter how many times we explained that drugs and alcohol were really bad for our son, it sort of felt on deaf ears. Um, he he just didn't take it very seriously, and he was very casual on substances. Um, but I think keeping a log and using the ALSEP um, and prioritizing the un- two or three unsolved problems is is a great start. Um, and I was going to say something else, and it just escapes me right now. Um, 
Sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Green. No worries. Um, You know, I don't think it's a terrible thing that they don't have the energy to fight anymore. That's what leads a lot of people to collaborative and proactive solutions. Um, Fighting, never a wonderful thing, but I think that once people come face-to-face with the fact that it's not getting them anywhere anyways and that they are running out of the energy for fighting – that sometimes that's what propels them into thinking of there's got to be a better way. So here's the good news. The reason to identify unsolved problems proactively is so you don't find yourself in the heat of the moment. And if all we say about him is that <coughs> excuse me, he, he gets angry when he isn't getting what he wants or, or things aren't getting in his way, that's not specific enough to actually know what we're going to be working on. And then what, what's going to happen is it's going to have us waiting until he isn't getting wants, what he wants or things are getting, aren't get, going his way, and that is the heat of the moment. Here's the good news, though. That when he, there are things he's not getting and things that aren't going his way that are predictable. And those are the things to start doing proactive plan B on, and those are the things to start documenting specifically now. Now, the the nice thing is we do have some hints about what we're fighting about. Um, Money, um, what the money is spent on and how much of it is spent. Saving money. Um, So it sounds like money is a major source of friction. The good news is those are predictable and they can be discussed proactively. So that's the answer to the question. Um, And, you know, the rest of this is, I'm not meaning to diminish or be dismissive, but that the rages include swearing and threatening and saying the meanest, most hurtful things he can think to say. Um, That's what many, many parents say. So that's uh, about rages and uh, what I call incompatibility episodes. Um, It is also not very unusual that the child will apologize later and say he doesn't know why he's acting that way um, and that he wishes he didn't do it and say things that are self that are self disparaging um, so as awful as all of that is that's um, not especially far outside the norm in fact that's kind of typical um, let's believe together that he does want to change it Let's agree that he's not equipped with the skills to handle his emotions. You put especially when he's disappointed, I would put especially in the heat of the moment. And that's why we want to not be in the heat of the moment. So yes, um, you want to be solving most problems early on outside the heat of the moment. Thankfully, there are many predictable ones, and um, that's going to make it easier The goal, of course, is that if you do it enough outside the heat of the moment, then it starts to serve you well on those hopefully very rare occasions when you find yourself in the heat of the moment again. But a major part of this model is to try to get us out of the heat of the moment in the first place and start solving these problems not only collaboratively but also proactively. Susie, anything to add? Yes, thank you. I remembered what I wanted to say. and I figured that, that would happen. <laughs> the model gives us hope. And even when things aren't going well, um, 
you know, you can learn from these situations as well. Um, it's important for the parents to have the right lenses on to look at this uh, as a developmental delay, a learning disability, similar to a math or a reading problem. Um, in our family, it took a while to get the plan B ball rolling. It actually had to get a little worse before it got better, but we found someone who understood and whose approach made sense to us. Um, I think there's a lot of helpful things on the Lives in the Balance website that this parent might benefit from. And to try not to take what he says personally, um, I believe in one of the editions of the Explosive Child and Older Edition, you had compared um, uh, it's similar to a dog and you step on their imaginary tail and they they bite. Well, um, you know, they say stuff, but they don't really mean it. Good. Here's another. No callers yet. I'll give the number again. 347-994-2981. Got to press the number one if you want to get through. But here's another. We're getting through some email today, which we've been chomping at the bit to do. My son is 16 years old. He was diagnosed at a young age with ADHD, then diagnosed a few years ago with depression and anxiety. We are currently struggling with the schools and have a lawyer involved to try to get him the education he deserves. A few weeks ago, he was hospitalized for his depression. His medication was reviewed and adjusted, and he received therapy, and that's where me, my wife, and I were introduced to uh, the CPS model. Uh, the facility uses it and has had great success. We took a quick beginner's course to get us started, and we've both read your book, The Explosive Child. We are working on trying to put the CPS model to work, but struggling with getting starting with it. started with it. We also have three other children, ages 14, 13, and 10. Both my wife and I work, so we try to find time to be proactive with the system and are also still fighting the school that has labeled our son behavioral a long time ago. Do you have any suggestions or pointers that may help us gain a grasp on using the CPS model? Also, as a side note, our youngest, the 10-year-old, is very similar to her older brother. We'd like to use CPS for all of our kids. It makes sense to us just being plan A and C parent for so long. Hard to get into the plan B and get a foothold on it with forward movement. Uh, Susie, what do you think? Want to take a crack at that one? Um, sure. Let's see. Um I think in terms of getting started, like we always say, um, to keep a log for a week and to um, use the ALSEP, the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, and uh, prioritize your two or three most important problems. Also, you want to fill out the problem-solving plan sheet. Um, so that you have benchmarks to um, solve problems by. It's great that they want to use the CPS approach for all of their children. Um, 
and I realize that it's difficult when you're fighting with the school. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, getting started, also you want to make an appointment with your child um, in a calm moment, and even 15 minutes a day can help with that. And you want to try to be responsive to the hand you've been dealt. That's the great thing about CPS is that it um, takes the emotional reactivity out of the equation and you indirectly teach skills and solve problems together. So you're doing something with your child, not to your child. And children do well if they can, and Plan B helps them to do just that. So in the terms of the getting started part, um, my two key words would be start small. Um, you know, you have a kid who, 16-year-old son who just got out of an inpatient unit. You have three other kids, 14, 13, and 10. You're both working. You've got stuff going on at school that you've hired an attorney for. My biggest pointer would be start small because I think that, you know, now that you have found out about CPS, and I um, think that there's always a temptation to try to solve everything at once and with everybody. And so the prioritizing piece is going to be crucial um, because you're working under tough circumstances and time is short. Now, the the way I would conceptualize this is that certainly with the 16-year-old, it sounds like probably with the 10-year-old, and maybe to a lesser degree with the 13- and 14-year-old, uh, if you've been primarily using plans A and C, then it's fairly likely that a meaningful pile of unsolved problems has accumulated. And that can be very foreboding, and it can be very overwhelming, but it uh, you're not going to be able to get through them very quickly. Progress means getting through them a little bit at a time. And so, you know, you get to decide which kid are we going to prioritize or kids. Um, and, you know, my vote, based on what you, the limited information we have in your email, is I'd go with the 16-year-old and the 10-year-old since they're the ones who seem to need it the most. Not that the 13- and 14-year-old don't, but we're prioritizing here. Do an LSIP on both of them first. Prioritize the unsolved problems you want to be working with both of them on first. And, you know... If you want to, try to do one plan B or devote 15 minutes to plan B each day. I would, you know, I would love to say 15 minutes each. I just don't know if there's going to be a half hour in the day to do it. Um, but basically what you want to do is get a rhythm on of devoting time each day to solving problems together. And the important thing is to get started not to feel like you have to tackle the entire pile of problems all at once with all four, which will just make you crazy and feel like you're not getting anywhere. And the whole goal is to feel like you are getting somewhere little by little. That's the key. You want to feel like you're getting somewhere little by little. And your priorities may change over time. And 
eventually you're going to want to bring the 13 and 14 year old into the problem solving loop so that they are benefiting from it as well but i would take you know 15 minutes uh for you and your wife to sit down together and think about where do we want to start and in a month how will we know we've actually made some headway and then what you really want to rely on is the lives in the balance website and the walking tour for parents because in terms of where anybody should start to get started in learning about the model, that's where you want to start. Um, but in your family, given your scenario, prioritizing is going to be crucial. Um, the ALSIP is going to be crucial. Sounds like because of your inpatient stay, you've managed to change your lenses and are ready to rock and roll here with CPS, and that is fabulous. I think what's going to get you there is prioritizing the Lives in a Balance website. And, of course, you are welcome to call into this radio program anytime you want. Susie, anything else to add? Um, just that to recognize that this is a family problem, and it's not just the 16-year-old who's having a problem. You don't want to pathologize the child. Um, it's important. I know time is is so precious, but to check in with the other kids and see how they're doing because when you have a challenging child, it does um, upset the balance of the family unit. Um, and just to please let us know how things are going to call or email back. That's, that's why we do this program. Mm-hmm. Still no callers? Here's another email. We are making good headway today. This one says, over the past few years, my nine-year-old son, who behaves beautifully at school and with friends but is very difficult at home, has been provoking so much aggravation and incessant fighting with my daughters, ages three and seven, but mostly with the seven-year-old, to the point that it makes life almost unbearable. While my daughter truly wants to work things out and put an end to their fighting, my son says that even if he wanted to end it, which he doesn't usually want to do, it is just too hard to do. Do you have any suggestions for how to help them change their behavior? My son teases and provokes, and my daughter overreacts and screams. It's an awful combination. It sounds awful. Susie, you have some experience with this, but I'm going to take a crack at this one first. Um, the first thing I'm going to glom onto here is change their behavior. I don't think you want to focus on their behavior, even though their behavior is what feels like it's making life unbearable. But behavior's downstream. The problems between them that are causing those behaviors, those are upstream. So we know that your son teases and provokes, and we know that your daughter overreacts and screams, and nobody's going to argue with you. It is an awful combination. And when that's going on incessantly, then life at home can feel not just almost unbearable, but totally unbearable. But I think that what you want to do is move beyond the behavior and start paddling upstream to the problems that are causing those behaviors. What are they fighting about? When are they fighting? Where are they fighting? And something that I sometimes do with some of the families that I work with when there are sibling issues 
is sometimes we talk to the siblings about the desirability of taking a break from each other. And that maybe while we're working on some of these problems, um, it would be good if we actually had less time together. And there are some families that the uh, acrimony between kids and fighting between kids is so thick that family members actually start planning for not being together. They, and I know this sounds nuts, but it sometimes is worth the effort to take separate cars to separate places, to not eat dinner together, this all sort to not watch television together. Um, all of this sort of flies in the face of, but this is a family, right? Yes, but it's a family that it, in which life is almost unbearable at the moment. And so um, sometimes a, the absence of togetherness gives people the break that they need from each other and recharges batteries a little bit. But the most important thing is to focus on the problems that are causing the behaviors, not the behaviors themselves. So now... Let's go to that one last line here. My son says that even if he wanted to end it, which he doesn't usually want to do, it's just too hard to do. I'm not exactly sure whether we are referring to what happens once they're fighting, or is that really a statement on, I don't want to work on these unsolved problems. But I have a feeling it's the former, not the latter, because I'm not reading anything in the email that is about the problems that are causing the behaviors. And so if we're mostly talking with him about the behaviors, we don't even know yet to what degree he might be willing to invest some energy in problem solving. So all I can do here is speak from experience. Whenever I'm dealing with siblings who are having a great deal of difficulty getting along and making life unbearable, if we talk with them about their behavior, the discussion is highly likely to go nowhere and we're going to get some of those pat responses like you may have gotten. But when they see that we are starting to sort through and organize and systematize what it is exactly that they are fighting about, and once we start hearing their voices, um, because what they're often complaining about is each other's behavior, but now we are, we've got some new raw material here. We've got a completely different focal point. What we're focused on now is the problems, and both parties are going to want to tell you their point of view on the problems that are causing the behavior. And now we've shifted from a conversation behavior that is highly unlikely to be productive to the concerns of both parties, which is highly likely to not only be productive, but also something that they are much more willing to engage in. And the more your son gets engaged in telling us what his concerns are, whether this is what TV channel are we going to watch, or who gets the TV when, or who's making noise while he's trying to do homework. I, you know, These are just sort of the standard ones. I have no idea what the unsolved problems are, but that's what we're trying to find out. He gets to say what his concerns are, and the more he gets to say what his concerns are, the more willing he is to listen to his siblings' concerns. And the more invested he becomes in solving the problems. So for the time being, and of course, you're also welcome to call into the program anytime you want, but for the time being, we're going to assume that the reason, and of course, you know what happens when you assume, but I, I could be right here. Of course, I could be wrong. Mm. Um, uh, that 
him saying that even if you wanted to end it, which he doesn't usually want to do, it's just too hard to do, we're going to assume at the moment that he's referring to behavior there, not the problems that are causing those behaviors. We're going to find out, but for you to focus on problems, you're going to have to know what they are. One of the biggest reasons people focus on behaviors is because not, they're not sure what the problems are in the first place. And there, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is going to help a lot. Prioritize. Start working on them. I would not put the siblings together for these discussions in the beginning. I would get their points of view and concerns on the table separately. They may not know how to talk together about problems yet, and you might just want to bring them together for the solution. And it could be that you need to talk with them as well about the need for a break from each other while we're trying to get some of these problems solved. There's my two cents. Susie, you've got some experience with sibling things, don't you? Uh, just a little. Yes, this sounds a lot like our family was. Um, I wanted to just reiterate that your child sees you as a helpful parent, one who's listening um, by um, solving specific problems collaboratively and proactively. You develop a relationship with your child by working through these unsolved problems and solutions together. I just want to also say that there's always hope. Make sure that you get the right lenses on. Um, Lagging skills and unsolved problems are like a math or reading disability. And, um, you know, it's not the child's idea of having a good time. I uh, want to also recommend your book, The Adventures of Stretch More, where you pick your path stories for problem solving together. That would be a a great um, resource for this parent to um, buy. Um, And lastly, I remember our family was scheduled to go on a vacation and things, we were right in the thick of things as far as our challenging child went. And it was recommended to us that we not spend every single minute together, that we divide into two groups and go off on different excursions. And though I was a little skeptical at first, um, nothing else was really working, and we tried it, and it was great. It was a great suggestion. A good time was had by all. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to sometimes do. Sometimes people need to break from each other. Um, yeah. And here's the best news about that. Every once in a while, uh, actually more than every once in a while, you're not banking on this, but every uh, more often than people might think, the siblings miss each other, don't mm-hmm. want to be away from each other, and work even harder on solving problems so that they can be together. Um so it's actually kind of a, that's the icing on the cake, is that not only are people getting a break from each other, they miss each other and really want to start being together and appreciate better that when they are not getting along and it's making everybody miserable, um, that's not what families are about, and that means that there are still problems that need to be solved. I'm going to try to squeeze one more in here. We've got about five minutes left. 
No calls today. That's okay. Hi, just finished. Hi, Dr. Green, just finished your reading your book and loved it. I immediately tried to implement Plan B to just see where it would take us. My son is four and a half and very intelligent. His verbal skills are good, but he has issues with understanding some things. One of the top problems is that he bolts and wanders. I tried to ask him why he likes doing it, and he can't give me a straight answer. He doesn't seem to understand the question. I even started to ask him if it makes him feel good to run out the front door or if he just feels like he needs to run or needs to be outside. He will say yes to some of my guesses, which is great, but I still don't feel like I can get a straight answer out of him. How can I implement Plan B if he doesn't understand my questions? I tried asking a different way, but he just doesn't seem to make a connection with how he feels and why he does that. It's like an impulse that he can't explain. Well, here's my take on that. Um, You're really not looking to talk with him about his behavior. You're looking to talk with him about the problems that are causing his behavior. So bolting and wandering is his behavior. I'd want to know a lot more about when that's happening, where that's happening. Um, And so I want to direct you to the walking tour for parents. If you haven't looked at it yet on the Lives in the Balance website, um, the middle section, there's a 45-minute audio program on how to complete the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And what you're going to learn is that you really don't want to be talking with him about his behaviors. We want to be talking with him about expectations he's having difficulty meeting. What I find is that one of the biggest reasons kids don't talk to us is because we're talking with them about their behavior and not about the unsolved problems or unmet expectations that are causing their behavior. There's also an ALSIP guide in the paperwork section of the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website that will also help you in completing the ALSIP. And so I guess, in other words, what I'm saying is let's make sure that one of the most common reasons kids don't talk to us, and that is that we're trying to talk with them about behavior and haven't worded our unsolved problems well, let's make sure that's not getting in the way. Once you have those unsolved problems worded well, and if he still isn't talking, and once you've gone through the third section of the walking tour, which is where it's instructing you on doing plan B, and there's some video in there, Um, if he's still not talking, here's what I would encourage, just because we don't have that much time left in the program. The last two or three programs we've done for parents focused on kids who wouldn't talk. And it would be really great to listen to those as well because uh, Susie and I provided one mom in particular with lots of input, and it did work to some degree with her. She still has, as of last week, some more work to do on um, figuring out why she's not getting as much information out of his son, out of her son as she might wish. Um, but just as an example, um, there are eight drilling strategies on the drilling cheat sheet, also in the paperwork section of the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website. And what you'll learn there is you're actually not going to be asking him how he feels. And you're also not going to be asking the question, why? So between 
the wording of the unsolved problems, which you'll learn about in the walking tour and on the ALSIP guide, and between learning about good questions to ask that make it easier for kids to talk, and you'll find that on the drilling guide, um, and between all the videos, if he's still not talking, the programs from the last two or three weeks should help you out. Once again, you are always welcome to call into the program if this hasn't gotten you there. Susie, any quick additional pointers before we have to sign off? Uh, just that health and safety is a is a tough problem, and um, you might be more inclined to solve it unilaterally and just tell the child, no, you can't do that, but but that doesn't teach skills and solve problems. So that's why Plan B will work. Well, it's a tough one, um, and because we don't know this young lad, we don't have the real clear sense of what's getting in his way. But if all of what we just said doesn't get you there, well, this program's on every week, September through May, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Susie, thanks for doing this as always. My pleasure. We'll do another one next week. And thanks, Sounds everybody, good. for listening. Thank Talk you. Soon. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.